Good morning. Are you are are you awake? Good morning. Okay. All right. There we go. Our opening words this morning are from Roman Catholic Sister Joan Chittister. To sustain a stay in a dry and barren desert, it is necessary to be about something great enough to be worth a lifetime of unrewarded effort. There are simply some divine cravings in life, the liberation of the poor, the equality of women, the humanity of the entire human race that are worth striving for, living for, dying for, finished or unfinished for as long as it takes to achieve them. No single capital campaign will do the trick. No one speech will change the climate. No single law will undo eons of damage. It will take a million lives dedicated to the long haul and heaped on top of one another. That's why the Zen saying, oh, snail, climb Mount Fuji, but slowly, slowly, is so important. If we are to persevere for the long haul, we must not overdrive our souls. We must immerse ourselves in good music, good reading, great beauty, and peace so that everything good in us can rise again and lead us on beyond disappointment, beyond boredom, beyond criticism, beyond loss. Then life has vision again. Then going on seems both possible and necessary. I invite you now to join in our opening song as our guest musician Maureen and some of our West band members lead us. Get up, stand up, stand up for your rights. Get up, stand up, stand up for your rights. Get up, stand up, stand up for your rights. Get up, stand up, don't give up the fight. Preacher man, don't tell me heaven is under the earth. I know you don't know what life is really worth. It's not all that glitters and gold. Half the story has never been for your rights get up stand up stand up for your rights get up stand up stand up for your rights get up stand up don't give up the fight most people think great God will come from the skies take away everything and make everybody feel high But if you know what life is worth You will look for yours on earth So now you see the light Hey, stand up 
lights. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your rights. Life is your right. Get up, stand up. Don't give up the fight. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your rights. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your rights. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your rights. Get up, stand up. Don't give up the fight. Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. My name is Zeb Green. I'm the clergy intern here, and my pronouns are he and him. We're so glad to have you here this morning, whether you're in the room or joining us on Facebook. Visitors and guests, we hope that you got a blue name tag so that we know who you are and can welcome you and answer any questions that you might have. We love talking about why this community is important to us, and we'd like to hear from you what you're looking for, and we hope that you'll join us after the platform service for coffee and cookies in the lobby and social hall. Also, please consider sharing your email with us on the gold sheet in your program so we can add you to our mailing list. You can drop it off in the collection basket as it passes later in the platform service. I would like to remind everyone to please silence your electronic devices so that you can be more fully present today. But while you have your phones out, please feel free to check in on social media. I'd now like to invite Rachel Alexander to read our statement of purpose so that we might hear our shared values in each other's words. Thank you. As Rachel lights our yep. <laughs> community candle, I invite you all to join us now in the candle lighting words. May we candle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. We ring this bell in solidarity with the people around the world. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and for our love. 
I invite you now into a time of meditation. Please let yourself get comfortable in your seat. Let your eyes gently close or drift slowly to the floor and settle into your bodies. I invite you to take a deep breath as we settle and let it exhale. Today we'll be doing a meta meditation on loving kindness to remember our own connection to ourselves, to each other, and the world around us. Starts, may I be filled with loving kindness. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be well. Expanding from ourselves, I invite you to think of a neighbor, a friend, a loved one, or even someone that's difficult to extend loving kindness to. Picture them in your minds. May you be filled with loving kindness. May you be peaceful and at ease. May you be well. From our connections to ourselves and to individual people, let us expand and hold more and more people. Hold everyone in this room, hold everyone in this world, hold all and think of those connections. May all be filled with loving kindness. May all be peaceful and at ease. May all be well. table with my head in my hands a column of numbers I just could not understand you said add these together carry the two now you you can do this hard thing this hard thing it's not easy I know but I believe that it's so you can do this hard thing 
at a cold winter station, breathing into our gloves. This would change me forever, leaving for God knows what. You carried my bags, you said I'll wait for you. You can do this hard thing. You can do this hard thing. It's not easy, I know. I believe that it's so you can do this hard thing. Late at night I called and you answered the phone. The worst it had happened and I did not want to be alone. Quietly listen, you said we'll see this through. You can do this hard thing. You can do this hard thing. It's not easy, I know, but I believe that it's so. You can do this hard thing. Here we stand, breathless, in hard times hearts hung like laundry on backyard clotheslines impossible just takes a little more time from the muddy ground comes a green volunteer in a place we thought barren new life appears morning will come whistling some comforting tune you can do this hard thing you can do this hard thing it's not easy I know but I believe that it's so you can do Maureen, thank you so much for that. I'm going to have that soundtrack in my mind, I think, when I am faced with hard things as we explore perseverance through this month. Well, I am really um, delighted to have with us this morning my friend and colleague, Ryan Nickens. And we're going to do something, I think, a little different and special um, this morning. But let me tell you a bit about her first. Ryan is a Washington, D.C. native uh, who grew up in Ward 8. Her passion for engaging in social justice issues arose from the poverty and violence that she witnessed in her community as she was growing up. And as you'll hear about a little bit, I think, in our conversation, uh, violence touched her family with the murders of her uncle in 1989 
an attack on her family that left her nine-month pregnant sister dead and her mother, brother, and another sister wounded in 1993 and the murder of her brother in 1996. Ryan, coming out of that um, loss, is passionate about changing the culture of her community. And I got to know her through our work at the uh, Washington Interfaith Network together, where she is one of the leaders in community organizing, particularly working um, with me. I, I get to be in partnership with her on the community safety and police accountability team. She also is the founder of the Trayron Center, and we'll get to hear a little bit about that either in our conversation or during our collection, since it's our Share the Plate beneficiary for this month. Ryan's a graduate of North Carolina Central University and Howard Divinity School, where she just graduated from with her MDiv in 2017. And she is guided by the words found in Micah 6, 8, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Um, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I would say that that has been my experience of Ryan, and I'm so excited that you are uh, able to experience that too. So, so Ryan and I are both um, involved with the Washington Interfaith Network, which is a community organizing um, body out of the Industrial Areas Foundation. And it's based on the idea that the most revolutionary thing we can do is be in relationship with each other. And, um, and so it's founded on a model of what are called relational meetings, which are really just two people meeting each other and meeting each other to form what's called a public relationship. So um, you might have a personal, private relationship with someone that's about, you know, just your individual connections, the fun you have with each other, the things that you like in common and like to do with each other. In community organizing, we talk about public relationships, relationships that are built on shared work and passion, um, the, the, what we hope to see in our community. Um, and so Ryan and I have that public relationship and want to invite you into seeing that a little bit. We think we might kind of look like we're on Sally Jesse Raphael, which I'm sorry to say Ryan said my glasses made me look like, so we might not be friends now. But... Um, <laughs> So we're going to try to model this for you um, uh, in our platform today. So I'm going to have us move our chairs and get ourselves set up. So Ryan, you and I sat down with each other for the first time. We think it was what almost two years ago. Yeah, September. Yeah. September 2016. Yeah. So yeah. year year and a half ago, maybe is that yeah. no? Yeah, year and I can't remember what year it is. Okay, so year and a half ago, <laughs> and um, and we met that first time because one of the the organizers with Washington Interfaith Network knew that I had an interest particularly in police accountability work, which wasn't something that Wynne was doing anything with, and, um, and knew that you, she had met you, I guess, and maybe had been working with you, and knew that you had an interest in community safety work, and she wanted to bring those two things together. Um, and so I remember that meeting, it was in my office, I think, a year and a half ago when we sat down, didn't know each other from Adam. Um, and, um, and just began to get to hear each other's stories. 
Um, so, so often when I start my story, I, I start with kind of where I was born. And I wonder, would you just give us a little bit of, you know, how do you tell your story when you meet someone for the first time? Um, how do you describe what your story is and where your passion for community safety in D.C., in Ward 8, in Ward 7 and Ward 8 come from? Can you share that with us a little? Yes. But first, let me say she does not look like Sally Jossie Raphael. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. I want to keep the friendship. <laughs> so we're going to discount that. That was just, mm -hmm. you know, without Pepsi this morning. Um, I made that comment. Took him getting new glasses yeah, tomorrow no. <laughs> now. <laughs> so I invite people to take a journey with me because I believe that my life has been a journey. I haven't been on this earth that long. Um, but it's been a road to take. And so I invite them to take this journey to kind of forget about whatever preconceived notions they had um, and just be present with me to hear uh, how this life for me has developed. As Amanda said, I was, um, I'm a Washingtonian. I was born and raised in Southeast and Ward 8. So much so that I was born at Greater Southeast Community Hospital before they changed it to Bedstar. Um, and life began to develop. It was okay from ages, from my birth to probably 11. And then it started to happen. Uh, when the drug epidemic hit Washington, D.C., it hit my family on both sides, the sellers and the users and that invited crime in. And so um, the first person I saw, um, the first time I saw a dead body, I think I was like 10, 11, and it was like, okay. It was, and I hate to be graphic, but he was, his brains was outside of his head on a sidewalk and he was there lifeless. Um, and as a kid, it was, and I like boxing growing up. I'm a boxing fan, I'm a sports fan. So I've seen people get knocked out, but this was something totally different. And it was like, okay, this is a little bit weird. And really didn't know how to feel. And so the second encounter came when three people were killed in an apartment complex where my family lived. And one of them was a pregnant woman. And so as they rolled out the bodies one by one, um, and you can see her belly in the body bag, and it was like, okay, this is, this is a bit much. Um, but it was that time old thing, somebody needs to do something about this, that I heard in the crowds with the adults. But it wasn't until 2 a.m. in 1989, I forget the day, I was up because I normally don't sleep. Um, and so I was 12 and I was up. And my uncle called and his voice sounded different. And he asked me to get my mom. And I'm a nosy child. I now say I'm inquisitive. Um, <laughs> it sounds just, better. Yeah, it does, right? I'm inquisitive. So... For about two minutes, I asked, quizzed my uncle, like, what's wrong? What's going on? What's happening? And he said, put your mom on the phone. And so I can push my uncle butt so far sometimes. And then he said, 
Ryan, I'm going to tell you one more time. Put your mother on the phone. So, you know, when your uncle goes deep and his voice isn't that deep, I was like, okay. I went to knock on the door and sat there while my mom talked to my uncle and her body went limp. So I knew whatever it was, it was bad. Um, she began to cry, she began to yell. And I'm sitting there at 12, like, what's happening? Uh, and then she said, no, David, no, David. And that's when I found out that my uncle David, was, who was on his way from my grandmother's house to my aunt's house, which was maybe 10 minutes, a 10 minute walk. And he had done it many times before. He had taken it many times before, was shot in the back twice and killed and left, you know, just left there to die. Uh, the person thought he was somebody else. And, you know, that doesn't lessen. It, it makes it even more hurtful because you, one, intended to kill somebody's loved one. Um, two, you didn't even take the time out to see if this was your intended target. Um, and now, since you didn't get the person you wanted, you're eventually going to kill that person. So now two families are devastated. Um, and I just remember being at my uncle's funeral and just watching my grandmother, um, who is this very strong woman, and she is sitting there, and her baby boy is in this casket. And, and then watching his daughter, and, and it was surreal because now it's a loved one. Right, and it's real. And that really began experiences of violence in your family and incredible loss and tragedy mm -hmm. um, through your teenage years and yeah. I remember when we first met, um, you told me about some of the losses in your own family and then you started talking about losses in friend groups and mm -hmm. extended family and you know, that, that just, the numbers, I think, for me, that having been so different from my experience was really um, startling, you know, in a way that I might have known those statistics, but to hear it um, as you're telling me your life um, and to imagine what, um, what that kind of repeated trauma must have been like. It, does that, is that seem right that there was, a, I mean, I assume a sense of repeated trauma? Yeah, yeah. it was. Um, because a couple of years after my Uncle David, an argument between my, um, our neighbor at the time and my sister escalated to her son shooting my sister, who was nine months, eight months pregnant, um, and killing her, shooting my mother, brother, and sister. And I remember um, the police officers in the house, and they're like, come downstairs. I had to be woken up and told this, by the way. I was 15 or so. And my sister's friend woke me up to tell me that our next door neighbor had just done, did this. And um, I wanted my mother, I wanted my father, I wanted somebody to comfort me. I didn't want to sit there and answer questions from an officer asking me what happened. I thought I continuously tell him, you know, I was asleep, I don't know. Um, and then to hear we have a black woman in her late 30s to early 40s with a gunshot wound to the head. We need medevac. And to know that that woman was my mother. And it was like, I have no mother. Because back then, if you got shot in the head, you were dead. 
um, there was no chance of survival. And to be in that limbo and not know um, whether or not my brother was still alive. I knew my sister Didi was still alive because I saw her. She was in a doorway um, as the um, um, ambulance treated her, the paramedic workers treated her, and I saw that she was just shot in her shoulder. So I knew she would survive. But the other two, my mom and my brother, it was like, okay, right. they're gone. Right. Right. In my mind, they were gone. Right. They were gone too. Yeah. One of the things that we have talked about a lot over the year and a half that we've gotten to know each other is, um, is how drastically different our growing up experiences have been. So um, we, we actually have a fair number of things in common. We're almost exactly the same age. Uh, we both have MDivs. Uh -huh. um, you know, both of us are working community organizing and have kind of similar, um, I think in some ways, some, well, we, we agree on almost everything, possibly yeah. everything politically, right? Right. Facebook is, you know, Ryan is my number one like, Facebook liker on all of my Facebook posts. Um, so, you know, we have all of these things that we share in common and a really similar uh, commitment to justice. And yet, for me, in some ways, that's sort of a, a learned commitment or a commitment that comes out of hearing stories of others, seeing a world that I think isn't fair. And for you, it comes out of such a, such a particular personal experience. And that's been an, an incredible gift that you've been willing to share that experience because I, I would think that it's quite hard to do so um, and that you've been willing to use or to allow people a glimpse into that as a way of um, helping them to feel more deeply maybe what they're committed to. I know when we first met, you talked about sort of going through a period of, um, of really not being able to take this incredible tragedy in a productive way. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you know, I think you talked about depression and, yeah. and um, yeah, yeah. And as we talk about the theme of perseverance, I think about that so much in how you've described your own story. Um, and so I wonder if you would share what has, has brought you through that. Um, how do you get from that trauma in your own life to being able to use it as a motivator for work in the world? So it didn't come overnight. It was, um, it came through my relationship with God. Mm -hmm. um, it was at one point where I just made the decision. Um, well, I told God, look, if you're real, um, I'm giving you one year. One year to show me something. And if you don't, um, I had already... Um, found an insurance agency that would cover suicide. Mm -hmm. And in that one year, I had decided if nothing changed for me, nothing changed emotionally or mentally, uh, because I knew money wouldn't heal me. I knew material things wouldn't heal me. Uh, what was wrong with me was deep down in my soul and in my spirit. And so that was my, if you don't do it, then I'm ending it. And I'm not going to keep going back 
through all this trauma because the people you grew up with don't change. You know, you still know these people. You still have your connection to them. You still love them. And now it's not that they're dying. Their children are dying. And you have all these questions. Uh, and let me change that. Their children aren't dying. Their children are being murdered. Um, it's a difference. People die of cancer. Gun violence is being murdered, being taken and stolen from from others. So uh, I began to engage in my relationship with God. Um, and it was like, okay, uh, no part of this life is easy. Um, not for anyone. But what I do with my pain, um, I can embrace my anger, but I can embrace it in a way that's healthy. Um, I can take my anger and do something good with it, um, helping other people. There is a Bible scripture that says they'll be won over by the power of your testimony. And so I, I after struggling with God, telling him, no, nah, dude, this ain't going to happen. Um, I'm not going to put my pain on the stage for anybody to just keep um, to do with it what they will because I felt like being vulnerable, it, it, you have to be this level of vulnerable. My family is a very private family. And so me publicly saying I was depressed and I tried to commit suicide, that was what seemed to be a stain on what everybody else, the outside looking in saying, this is a strong, resilient family, but here they have this one who has been um, in a psychiatric ward and therapy and black people frown on therapy. And so it was during a relationship with God that I had to come to terms with my past and what had happened and how do I move past it. And when I began to share my story, it's, and people would come up and some would come up with the empathy and then some would come up with the pity and it'd be like, okay, wasn't cheering for pity, but all right, okay. Um, and it just became that, that I never want anybody else to experience that level of pain. Because it's almost like what I begin to describe as being dropped. Once you get the phone call, the knock at the door, it's almost like you're dropped in the, in the middle of an ocean. And you're trying every day to swim your way back to before that phone call came. Mm -hmm. And swim your way back to the shores of peace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with the current against you right. as you're swimming, right? right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think sometimes we think about perseverance as being <clears throat> sort of continuing on something and, you know, maybe, well, I think it's the way we think about the way a life goes, right? You know, you imagine sort of when you're a child that your life is just going to get better and better, right? You know, and you're going to accomplish this and then you're going to accomplish that and then, and you have a particularly... Um, tragic experience of that not being the reality. But many of us have s some experience of that, you know, that life actually doesn't go like this, that there are some significant valleys that many of us experience in life, whether they're similar to yours or different. The emotional experience, right? You know, people can relate to that, I think. And the idea of perseverance as often having actually these huge dips to me, makes then the, the ability to persevere so much stronger, you know? Um, I'm thinking about what you said about sort of being a, 
how, how hard it was to be vulnerable about your challenges, particularly when your family is seen as strong and like everything's all together, yeah. right? Um, and, and then to, because I only met you on the other side of all yeah. of that, right? <laughs> when you had already transformed, you know, um, and, and I love that passage that you, that you shared about your test about testimony, um, because that's exactly what you have done is taken your testimony and used it to change people's hearts, I think. Um, so, so when you started getting involved with Washington Interfaith Network, can you tell me a little bit about that switch sort of, um, going from this desire to help in the world and then how does community organizing or, or building relationships, how does the work that, that we've done with Washington Interfaith Network together kind of come into play with all of that? So I, I didn't go easily into it. I decided it was like um, field education. I would come to one events for affordable housing just to be a space, just a body, a count, a number. And um, then Amy Bruno, who was the organizer at the time, sat down and said, what do you want to do? She had the relational. And it's like, okay, whatever. Um, and then Jennifer came. And Jennifer was just a little bit more persistent than Amy was. And so I was like... That's one word for it, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. She was just a little bit more persistent than Amy was. And so I was like, okay. So I had field education. Um, and what field education is, it's basically an internship. You go work somewhere, see how it is, whatever. As part of your, your getting your yeah, MDiv, right? Yeah, I had MDiv. something very similar to that. Yep. Right. And so I had this one organization that worked on education, and I was praying it went, it was going to work out, um, but they folded. Their D.C. office closed, and then I had to go to win. And so, um, to, you know, divine intervention. I don't know. Right. God right. had his plans, and I had mine, and his plans always seemed to work out. Mm. Um, and so I, I came, and it was like, okay. And so Jennifer, as she always does, I've got uh, Amanda Poppy, Reverend Poppy. Um, I need you to meet with her. And Jennifer begins to run off these names. And I'm sitting there like, what the? Okay. <laughs> I'll talk to her. And we met, we talked. And I get energy from people like you who, because um, I think a, the great thing about when is, um, you can come to a meeting and you see people, you experience people from different backgrounds um, who have the same passion as you do. And you had the same passion that I had around community safety and engagement and police accountability. And so it was like, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe, just maybe. But I kind of just pushed through and... Um, said oh, the need was there and so who there's another scripture that says um who will go mm -hmm. who shall we send and um it was like here here i am god you can send me um i was here anyway so i might as well make use of my time here right. and do something productive um i thought policy was like let's just change the policy because policy it's easy. It's kind of easy in a way. It doesn't have the people thing to it. But when we begin to have the house meetings and 
I knew the people, but I kind of veered away from their stories. Um, but when I began to sit with mothers and to hear their pain, to hear the pain of aunts who are crying out, and it's like, we've got to do something. And um, you might not have wanted to be chosen, but you are here. You have what it takes to do it. And so let's just get it done. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, like when you read, the article came out earlier this week that of the 11 people killed in D.C., six of them are under the age of 19. And it's like sometimes I ask myself, I ask God, you know, are we selling um, people in Ward 7 and 8 who are really impacted by gun violence a false bill of goods? Because they're still experiencing it. You can send your child to the corner store and get the knock at the door that your 14-year-old is dead. And it's like, what are we selling them? Is it really true that there can be peace in our communities, that, that we can work together for good? And so I get kind of down sometimes reading. It's like, and, and I told myself, the first thing in the morning, do not read a news article. Mm -hmm. Do not tune, do not go turn on the TV, do not go to Facebook. That is very good advice, by the way, for all, all of us. Do not do yep. it. Spend some time centering yourself and preparing yourself spiritually and emotionally to go to deal with the world because it's hard. It's hard. Right. And it's like, because you can make it... Um, you, you look at your own life and you say, well, I made it through so they can make it too. Mm -hmm. And they believe you. Right. They, they believe you because the evidence is, you're the evidence right. that it right. can happen. Right, here you are happen. on the other side, yeah. But then they get that phone call or that knock. Right. And I've known I, I, three of the murder victims this year have been um, family members of friends. And so it's like, yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's such a key a key piece in doing the work that you do, um, both through Washington Interfaith Network and also through the Trayron Center, which you founded and which we're gonna hear a little bit about specifically um, during our collection. But, but how to keep that, the, even the hope that there is, right, that things can change. I mean, I think, you know, you look at the statistics, you read the articles, you know the people and, um, I think continuing to do work for more peace and for more justice, whether it's in this area or in any other justice area, right? Like the reality is that especially maybe right now, although um, in sort of our national climate, but, but really at any time, it, you can be working really hard and not see that the needle is moving, you know? Um, or at least that it certainly didn't move for that family, you know, that just lost their loved one and then for that other family. Um, I'm thinking about the opening words um, this morning um, from the Roman Catholic sister who was talking about needing good music and mm -hmm. beauty around you yeah. and all, you know, all of those pieces that keep some kind of strength. And I know that's been really important for me. And I think the other thing that's been important has been relationships. Right. I mean, in our tradition, you know, we really talk about the importance of relationship for our own spirits, right? Mm -hmm. For our own sense of how we move forward. Um, and 
as we've been working the last year and a half on things and we've had places where we've seen some successes and then we've had big frustrations. We, you know, can't get a meeting with the right yeah. person. Um, being part of that little group of us um, and there have been folks from Addis Israel uh, and folks from Wynn um, and from other places throughout the city from Metropolitan UMC. It's been those relationships um, and nurturing the relationship part of it that has made it possible for me to feel like we should keep <laughs> working on it, you know? Yeah, I think so. I think the, so I can be like frustrated and go to a meeting and you, that energy you feel like I'm connected to people who are committed, mm -hmm. people who are in this fight for the long haul. We may have had a setback um, it may not seem like things are moving or progressing, but these folks around me are determined and, um, yeah, and it's that energy and it's that fight that I think you have and Lois, who is a part of Addis Israel, um, Pastor Lyles, who's a part of, who's the pastor of New Life, and others that you come together and you sit and you talk and somebody says something that re-energizes you, that gets you going. And the other part of that for me is, I, I do, I love music and I love the songs, thank you. Um, and so I use that and I use um, my faith. Um, and, and sometimes it's even the 14 year old little boy who was on his way to the store for his mom to make sure that it's not another 14-year-old little boy. Um, the 23-year-old who was getting her life together and now and was killed just standing, talking to friends, making sure it's not another 23-year-old attacking the symptoms and, and then the causes of these things. And so I, I even get strength from that because it makes you more, even more determined. It depletes you for a moment and I only allow it to deplete me for a moment because it's like, look. So I have pep talks with myself. Mm -hmm. I do. Um, and it's like when a little boy was killed, and I keep calling him a little boy because he was a little boy. He had just began um, to realize who he was and to grow. And I'm like, oh, Lord, really? Mm -hmm. Serious? And I had just left a very encouraging um worship service and I'm like this is some straight bull I won't say the real words you can say the real word it's okay okay I'm like this is really and I streamed and it's like all right Ryan get yourself together this is why we work this is why we do what we do and so you need to get yourself up and let's keep pushing Let's keep pushing because change will come. It's got to come. Um, yeah. Right. And you'll be a part of it. The alternative's not acceptable. So. No, quitting right. is not, and quitting, no. Right. No, quitting, no. Never. Shall I go to our? Yes. Okay. So um, thanks so much, Ryan. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. We want to close with a, a poem by Langston Hughes. Um, we were talking about different poems that um, 
uh, inspired Ryan that might we might want to bring into the space. And so this is one of Ryan's favorites. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to start this poem and then Ryan is going to um, end it um, in the spirit of and I'll start it in the spirit, as Ryan said, of um, allyship. Uh, so speaking uh, not with my voice, but with um, with the voice of this poem, which is yeah. very powerful. Uh, this is the Negro mother. Children, I come back today to tell you a story of the long, dark way that I had to climb, that I had to know, in order that the race might live and grow. Look at my face, dark as the night, yet shining like the sun with love's true light. I am the dark girl who crossed the Red Sea, carrying in my body the seed of the free. I am the woman who worked in the field, bringing the cotton and the corn to yield. I am the one who labored as a slave, beaten and mistreated for the work that I gave. Children sold away from me, my husband sold too. No safety, no love, no respect was I due. 300 years in the deepest south, but God put a song and a prayer in my mouth. God put a dream like still in my soul. Now through my children, I'm reaching my goal. Now through my children, young and free, I realize the blessings denied to me. I couldn't read then, I couldn't write. I had nothing back there in the night. Sometimes the valley was filled with tears. But I kept taking on through those lonely years. Sometimes the road was hot with the sun, but I had to keep on till my work was done. I had to keep on, no stopping for me. I was the seed of the coming free. I nourished a dream that nothing could smother. Deep in my breast, the Negro mother. I had only hope then, but now through you, dark ones of today, my dreams must come true. All you dark children in the world out there, remember my sweat, my pain, my despair. Remember my years heavy with sorrow and make of those years a torch for tomorrow. Make of my past a road to the light out of the darkness, the ignorance, the night. Lift high my banner out of the dust. Stand like free men supporting my trust. Believe in the right, let none push you back. Remember the whip in the slave's track. Remember how the strong in struggle and strive still bar you the way and deny you life. But march ever forward, breaking down bars. Look ever upward at the sun and the stars. Oh, my dark children, may my dreams and my prayers impel you forever up the great stairs. For I will be with you tonight. No white brother dares keep down the children of the Negro mother. Stand me up at the gates of hell 
Whoa.